Section 17 of Wellington by George Hooper. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 11. Old Age. If the Duke of Wellington were twenty or thirty years younger, he ought to be on horseback and on the field with Ranjit Singh, instead of being called in to arrange the affairs of maids of honour and the palace, was his remark to Lord Stanhope in March 1839. Two years later, George Broadfoot, shut up in Jalalabad, wrote, set the Duke down at Farazapur with carte blanche, both contempt of the enemy and timidity would disappear and afghanistan would soon be our own to keep or abandon the dream of the valiant young soldier of course could not be realized his hero was and felt himself to be too old his deafness the result of improper treatment became yearly worse and he had suffered from those severe attacks of illness which made o'connell chuckle over the thought that one of whom he was always afraid would soon die the death of Lord Hill in 1842 made Wellington commander-in-chief by patent and for life. All remember how, when the news of Chilianwala filled men with dismay, asked to submit three names to the government as fit successors to Sir Hugh Gough, he wrote down thrice, Sir Charles Napier. Still more does it dwell in the memory that he fixed the resolution of Sir Charles by saying, If you will not go, I must that was an appeal which could not be withstood later still the old fire blazed up when he undertook to thwart the chartists on april tenth eighteen forty eight and kept his word so well and made such solid arrangements that tranquillity was preserved without showing a soldier or firing a shot well duke it has all turned out as you foretold said sir john campbell oh yes was the reply I was sure of it, and I never showed a soldier or musket, but I was ready. I could have stopped them wherever you liked, and if they had been armed it would have been all the same. That was his last military triumph, and he was pardonably elated at its bloodless success. Few living can remember him as he was in the prime of his manhood, but many cherish the recollection of the silver-haired veteran, wearing a blue coat and white waistcoat and trousers, riding or walking through the streets, or painfully listening with one hand to his best ear in the House of Lords. Age slowly sapped his strength. Music, which he so loved, was lost to him, and he had to give up his hunting. But he rose early, worked as of old, and neglected no duty. If he became irritable and had his quick temper less under control, that was due to failing powers, and he was painfully conscious of the weakness. It was only trifles that moved him. On grave subjects he was patient and ready to bear with opposition all his life. But no man is so privileged as to escape human infirmity. The publication of his dispatches by Colonel Gurwood raised him immensely in public estimation, and he was seen as he was for the first time, one might say that despite the splendor of his active military career and the enthusiasm it aroused men did not come to know him truly until he had grown old and then admiration passed into a sort of reverence which shed a halo over his declining years baron stockmar having said that he was one-sided prince albert answered he is a fresh illustration of the truth that to achieve great results and do great deeds a certain one-sidedness is essential 
certainly it is better to be a wellington than a hamlet the nation agreed with queen victoria when she said he was the pride and the genius as it were of the country how true the phrase is was shown when his startling letter to sir john burgoyne was printed from his watch-tower at walmer he looked around and saw that the south of england was defenceless and said so in plain terms the nation was electrified and from that day in eighteen forty eight may be dated the modern measures for the defence of our coast and the reinforcement of our army the warning came with triple energy from one who had been always a votary of real economy and a fervid champion of peace it was he who wrote in eighteen forty one may god preserve the general peace man will not if left to himself throughout his life he was generous and gave without stint his conduct towards alava offers a conspicuous example even cobbett who called him an old ruffian found that the duke was not a miser he carried loose sovereigns in his pocket to bestow on any of his old soldiers in distress when general brenier captured at vimiero was prisoner sir arthur as he then was lent the frenchman five hundred pounds which was never repaid he was absolutely unostentatious in giving mr gleig once saw a private record of his charities which in one year reached four thousand pounds he was the cheerful victim of impostors and even delinquents saying when rebuked what could i do one could not let the man starve his kind-heartedness came out in many ways seeing a short gentleman on one occasion at court straining every joint to obtain a glimpse of the queen he placed him before himself and the little man was so delighted that he asked for a living at a review in the champ de mars he befriended a small boy by mounting him on the back of his own chair obliged to join the french princes the duke consigned the boy to the care of his father and a few days afterwards the father applied for a loan such experiences never narrowed his sympathies his kindness to children is well known georgina dowager lady de ross has told us how he romped with the children and allowed his young guests at walmer to fight the battle of waterloo with him a conflict which began by one of them flinging a cushion at the newspaper he was reading and how indignant he was when he saw that his little favourites had no jam with their bread and butter but the prettiest story is told by lord stanhope two tiny guests at walmer seeing that every one received letters by post wished that they might have some thereupon the duke wrote a little letter to each every morning and had it delivered to them when the post arrived it was a different feeling indeed a sense of justice which made him as constable of the tower give to non-commissioned officers the post of yeoman warder preceding constables following an old usage had sold them one of his latest acts was a serious proposal that the prince consort should command the army through a chief of the staff an obvious error which the prince had the prudence to set aside in the year when it was made eighteen fifty a little prince was born on may first the duke's birthday the name of arthur was bestowed on him and king william of prussia and the duke were the sponsors the next year at the opening of the first exhibition as the queen records the old duke and anglesey walked arm in arm in the procession which was a touching sight another year passed and then the duke faded peacefully away at walmer in september and after lying in state at chelsea hospital was solemnly buried by the side of nelson in st paul's cathedral 
all the nations in europe except austria were represented at his grave and as the organ peals ceased and the mighty multitudes separated the whole world felt not only that an epoch had visibly ended but that a great captain and a supremely dutiful honest man leaving behind him a stainless record had gone from among them forever the end end of section seventeen recording by pamela nagami in encino california two thousand and seventeen end of wellington by george hooper